This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Well, we're settling in for the Tuesday program, already November, which means as November approaches and Halloween goes that away, even though we will have a segment today kind of dedicated to Halloween still as we hang on to it. But fair warning, and I'm curious always about this one. How many of you out there have already heard your first Christmas promos? This is probably the time of year when we also start uh, voicing our frustrations about waiting until after um, at least after November the 11th, the Remembrance Day um, recognition to start talking Christmas, start seeing and feeling Christmassy. Because my gosh, just give us just 11 days. Advertisers don't seem to care. Um, I remember one year listening to some Halloween stuff uh, on, on, I think it was probably uh, like on a radio station that was playing War of the Worlds or something like that, Mm -hmm. listening to old time radio stuff one year. It went past midnight and minutes later, the first Christmas commercial came on. I I was absolutely blown away. It just, I can't be. Here in London to finally say okay enough is enough uh we tended to have due to weather our christmas parade the weekend after halloween so when i say that let's say roughly somewhere around the 6th 7th or whatever 10th mm-hmm. w- whatever but then they finally said hold on hold on we we can't be having it before remembrance and i i think this is going into the second or third year where they're making sure that it is after because it, you know personally i found that quite an affront of, of a miscarriage of timing, if you want to call it that, but something that you guys, it, this is this is something you don't have to think a lot about. Do it after yeah. the Saturday after Remembrance. And there's a lot going on. Like there's Indigenous Veterans Day coming up on November eighth. There's just so much that we should probably. The thing is with these big big holidays in the last quarter of the year uh, and festivities, we tend to shy away from even considering the more serious stuff and and the learnings that we need to be paying attention to also so yeah it it honestly to me it's borderline disrespectful talking and, and the well, other thing i is, find it is and i think that yeah. that's what we've done i think in our society we've allowed ourselves to hey it's always fun yeah, and games yeah, we're in that kind yeah. of a country where we we don't want heavy and we forget so we we turn our back on anything, mm-hmm. it's like turning your back on that person that's kind of like, well, let's look at the upside. Never mind the downside. Right, you know, if we right. don't want to live in that frame Outright of mind, denying. we're not going Outright to, and denying. I think we've done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely for sure. Folks, let's see what we've got ahead on Kelly and Company today for you. Winter boots. They keep our feet warm and help us get around icy and treacherous conditions. Frances Wong, she's going to share some tips with us on how to choose the best winter boots. So yesterday we announced some exciting changes to Kelly and Company on the horizon. And John Melville, our Vice President of Content Development and Programming for AMI-TV and AMI-audio, is joining us to share the background and what you can expect next. On October 27th, 
W. Ross McDonald School hosted their Walk for Winjack, and that was an event that uh, so many came out for and well attended. Uh, you know what? We've got uh, some of the students who are going to talk about this event who, that was organized by staff member or uh, Georgia East. We'll talk about it in hour two of Kelly and Company. Okay, folks, the federal government wants to bring half a million immigrants to Canada uh, each year, and they want to start this in 2025. But it's planning to reduce the number of refugees who are resettled at the same time. The immigration minister says the new targets are aimed at tackling new labor shortages we're going through. With about a million job vacancies across Canada right now, the federal government is looking to immigration programs to fill labor gaps. Immigration Minister Sean Fraser says there will be more emphasis on admitting people who have the work skills and experience that's needed here with an aim of raising the annual targets to 500,000 people a year starting in 2025. That's about 70,000 more than the target for this year. Fraser is promising the government can handle a big jump in the number of applications by hiring new staff and changing its processing. His department is already dealing with a backlog. Sarah Ritchie, The Canadian Press, Ottawa. So a country very much built on... Um, other countries, landed immigrants, people coming to this country. That's what we've been built on. And now we're facing this, this employment crisis where we aren't finding people to take jobs. We know there's huge resources around the world out there of people who, who could take some of these jobs who are willing to come in and do so. And uh, we know a lot of people have switched, Ramya, in what they, they want to do in that time during the pandemic. We've talked about this on the show. I, I'm interested in addressing this that way. Uh, we always talk about qualifications and we we have to remind ourselves so many people are coming from places where they are severely qualified. Yes, absolutely. The transition um, and transformation of people's lives when they move to countries um, in North America, specifically because we can speak on that, uh, and say, you know, we can't do what we used to do. But then also the resources, as you're you're talking about, Kels, being feeling like so so much work or so far away or unattainable um, in order to utilize these qualifications from elsewhere here, right? So there's just a lot more we can do on how to help people transition. Um, we know that we can use people, their skills, their expertise, um, their their diversity, their, you know, all kinds of qualifications um, and otherwise socially. But it's you know, is enough of that happening? And do we even understand the untouched skill um, and talent market that's out there? We say it about the disability community, that untapped resource that is so willing to be there if you have some of the supports that some people may need, but just recognizing that. We have some advisement, folks, for you, okay? Daylight saving time ends this weekend, and medical experts have some tips to help kids keep their sleep uh, tra uh, on track. So take a listen to this. It may be easier said than done, but a study shows that kids who go to sleep earlier sleep later. That was the finding of a review of 45 clinical trials involving almost 14,000 kids between 1 and 18. Experts are trying to determine which changes would be most beneficial for children. They found that going to bed earlier resulted in about 45 minutes of extra sleep a night. There were also benefits found in using a sleep diary, but some things like extra physical activity showed almost no benefit. Brian Clark, ABC News. 
no. Interesting. <laughs> and we have Physical talked activity. about this on the program, right? Mm. <laughs> exactly. So what, Rum? Yes, you go to bed earlier. I'll just sleep in later. Yeah, I don't know. I just find going to bed earlier is something that's got to be ingrained in you, man. The kind of self-discipline <laughs> needed to tell yourself at 29 that, yeah, you just stop. Just go to sleep earlier so you don't complain the next day. It's, uh, it's uh, hard. <laughs> I always think about that whole business of let's maybe push school starting back. And yeah. maybe that will help. Let's go that route. Yeah. <laughs> start sure it'll help. Later start times for work and school. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually, okay, so now I'm going in for 1 o'clock. Oh, you're going in early. What the heck, man? 1 p.m.? That's ridiculous. Oh. Coming up next, folks, if you like to shiver in fear from the safety of your own couch, okay, we've got the answers for you. Consider treating yourself to some of the scary animal characters. Dr. Danielle Johnkine is going to recap next for us. It's Kelly and Company Tuesday edition of the program. We'll be right back. If you want to reach out to Accessible Media Inc., you could do it through the Accessible Media Inc. Facebook page, folks. You can interact, of course. There's lots of great content displayed there at the Accessible Media Inc. Facebook page. Like it. You can also follow AMI-audio on Twitter, at AMI-audio. Rummy is available at AllRams uh, with a Z at the end. I'm at AMI-Kelly-Mac up on Twitter. Those are the handles to keep track of if you want to follow along with the show. And if you want to send a message in to communications and marketing, feedback at uh, AMI.ca. Great way to do that. If you have questions about anything going on, uh, that I think for you, feedback at AMI.ca, best way. You can ask them about AMI-TV, AMI-Tele, or AMI-Audio, or, or anything to do with Accessible Media Inc. Right there in the gang will be happy to help you out. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. So I know that Halloween was yesterday, but we're still coming down from that Halloween vibe, and it hasn't even been 24 hours yet. Exactly. It's still pretty gloomy outside. Hasn't even been 24 hours yet since we've gone trick-or-treating. So we're just going to continue the convos of Halloween trick or treating. just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, you you went out there trick or treat. No, not me, not me, not me. No, did, I've did already you, finished all the candy that, that I bought. I was just gonna say, did stole. you hand any out or did you just do the? Yeah, I'm gonna buy a lot of stuff here to hand yeah. out, and then there's I nobody allowed at my door. My mom had a lot of leftover candy <laughs> that she darkened the house off. and just sit in there and eat it all. All right, sorry. Exactly. Ca- so, anyways, on. anyway, yeah. So we're gonna continue the convos just a, for a couple more minutes about Halloween. Let's bring on Dr. Danielle Jonkind. The human-animal bond plays such an important role in people's lives, and as a veterinarian, it's my privilege to help keep those bonds strong and healthy. I'm Dr. Danielle Jonkine, and welcome to Ask a Veterinarian. We're going to wrap up all things scary and spooky with this one last convo, at least on Kelly and Company. I don't know what people are doing in their own times, probably still watching the plethora of spooky stuff out there. Uh, But while we don't usually consider animals to be scary, depending on the animal, we know that in some cases they can be. Lots of books and TV shows and movies and the horror type genres have capitalized on this concept. And the unique crossovers between horror and comedy these days are pretty good also. So if you want to shiver deliciously in fear at Halloween from the safety of your own couch, you might consider treating yourself to some of these scary and funny scary animal characters that Dr. Danielle is going to recap for us today. I'm looking forward to this, Danielle. I don't really mind that we've 
past Halloween. <laughs> I'm kind of at a disadvantage when Halloween's on a Monday and then this yeah. comes on a Tuesday. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it's all good because there's lots of these animals to talk about. Yeah, well, you know, the horror genre is definitely, you know, something we pull out to scare ourselves at Halloween. And, you know, and like you say, some of those stories do involve animals. And and some of those scary um, animal stories are based on real animals, like the great white shark in Jaws. And, mm. you know, some are imaginary, like those, you know, extremely scary extraterrestrial beasts in the alien movies. Um, but all of them, of course, they do bad stuff to people, though, and... and <laughs> That's really why they're scary. Um, and, you know, when I think when I think on some of, you know, the scary animal characters that I've seen in some of the horror genre, you know, one of the old classics are um, the books written by Stephen King mm -hmm. and um, and the movies made from them. And, you know, well, of course, he doesn't limit himself to terrifying animal characters. He does have a few in his arsenal. And, you know, for me, um, one of the most terrifying is Cujo. Yep. <laughs> and, you that know, book traumatized that... me for yeah, sure. Yeah, me too. And I was yeah, never, I was, as a kid, I was very nervous of dogs. And that Oof. one really did it because it That'll almost it bordered you. on, how possible is this? Mm-hmm. Yes, and you know that the particular character of Cujo, of course, was a Saint Bernard who stuck his nose into a cave and and it was bitten by a rabbit bat. So of course, poor Cujo goes on to develop rabies and proceeds to attack, maul, and kill a whole bunch of people. You know, even trapping some of them in a car that breaks down yeah. so they can't drive away. And, and you and, know, Danielle, you know, they... it's funny because I found at that time and beforehand, maybe. Oh, I mean, I think of To Kill a Mockingbird because they yes. talk about the rabid, you know, dog. And any time, and I know as a kid, I was terrified of lockjaw and rabies. They were the two things that I was so afraid of. What if you had touch a rusty nail? Ah, yeah. what if? And yeah, and, and it's true, you know, and though, of course, Hollywood's portrayal of rabies isn't exactly accurate. Right. Sure. The scariest thing for me about the story, Cujo, of course, is that rabies is a real actual threat. Yeah. I mean, zombie movies are one thing, you know, but I know zombies aren't real, so I'm OK with that. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's entirely possible that a large dog could get infected with the rabies virus, get the furious form of the disease and actually mm -hmm. attack somebody because of it. Mm. And even worse for me is I personally know of two cases of animal rabies infection where Aww. people were attacked by rabid animals. And uh, one person um, managed to defend themselves from the feral cat that attacked them, but of course ended up getting post-exposure treatment, which was no fun. And the other was actually an incident where a person was actually killed by a rabid horse in a real oh. life horror story. And so, you know, when I when I think of something like Cujo, I think, get those animals vaccinated for rabies, mm. people. It's you know, true. We don't need any more Cujos. <laughs> we really don't. And and it's true. Like it's amplified and personified in these books and, and movies. So thank goodness we have these weekly segments with you where you come on and tell us, OK, this is the legit way that <laughs> rabies <Yeah>. works. <laughs> yeah. That's what I meant. It, it, it bordered on so real. So yeah, could yeah. happen that, you know, it's just, oh, oh, what? Uh -uh. Mm -mm. Yep. Yep. For sure. And of course the other Stephen King book that, you know, featured um, scary animals and sort of a Halloween theme was pet cemetery. And, um, you know, I'd never actually, um, seen this movie though I had read the book and um I watched the trailer and it, it's quite scary 
<laughs> for you know some of the imagery that comes with that. Um, but basically, the story goes that a doctor moves to a new home with his family and their cat Churchill, which they call Church, and meets the new neighbors. Um, they take him on a walk of the local area and show him the pet cemetery where the locals bury their pets. And so, in the story, the doctor gets a nighttime visit from a dead person who shows oh. him a bunch of deadfall at the back of the pet cemetery and warns him never to go past it. So poor Church gets hit by a car and killed while the mom and the kids are away visiting family. And the neighbor goes with the doctor to the pet cemetery to bury the poor kitty. And he leads the doctor past the place where he was warned not to go and tells him to mm. bury Church there. He does. And the next day, Church shows up back at home, much to the doctor's surprise. But unfortunately, the kitty is not the same old church that he used to be. You know, he rips up little animals and is not the sweet, loving family pet that he used to be. He's kind of aggressive and nasty and sadistic. And if this wasn't proof enough that resurrecting the dead was a bad idea, I don't know what is. But... <laughs> <laughs> Always change the personality, don't we? Can't come back. Oh, I'm happy go lucky. I love that no. punchline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But, you know, in spite of that, when tragedy strikes the family with the death of a child, you can guess, of course, what then happens. And that produces the scariest imaginable scenario when all the murders start. So, I mean, if you're into reading, you know, this one was started as a novel and was made into two movies, um, one in 1989, and then they made a remake in 2019. So, yeah, mm. very, very scary. Yeah. Very wow, scary. that's amazing. Yep. And and like you say, Stephen King, the master. Where else do you want to go? What else have you been thinking? Well, you know, another animal that terrifies a lot of people, and not just in movies and books, but in real life too, is the spider. Um, you know, if you're a Hobbit or a Lord of the Rings fan, you probably can't forget the spiders in Mirkwood or that giant spider, Shelob, that tried to eat Frodo and Sam on their way into Mordor when they were going off to destroy the One Ring. And I have to say that I still get the shudders thinking of those little hobbits facing down a gigantic spider with only a short sword and what amounts to a holy <laughs> flashlight for weapons, honestly. <laughs> but, you know, if you like horror movies centered on spiders, you might try Arachnophobia. Um, this is a little movie where a South American spider finds love with a local spider after immigrating to the U.S., I think in a bunch of bananas or something. And then their offspring <laughs> multiply and start poisoning people in town with oh their bites. Revenge of the spiders. Oh, and it's so scary for people who hate spiders because no they're kidding. not even big spiders, but there's just many, many, yep. many. Yeah. And, and with spiders, they spiders. like to show them moving, don't they? Coming out of Ugh. the innocent and all the people the talking legs. around them and you don't know these dangerous spiders are right mm -hmm. there. That is very true. Very true. You know, and of course, there's lots of predators like sharks, wolves and crocodiles that end up as scary characters in animal horror movies. But leave it to Alfred Hitchcock to come up with something completely unexpected. And, you know, we don't usually think of birds to be all that scary. But Hitchcock changed that in 1963 when he released The Birds, which was... Um, a horror movie about huge flocks of irate birds that kind of swoop in. They break through windows and into buildings and they attacked and killed people. And believe it or not, but the movie was based on a short story by a lady named Daphne du Maurier, but also partially on a real live event, believe it or not. 
Apparently a flock of seabirds came ashore in dense fog in California in 1961 and people living there heard crashing and thudding and looked out their windows or stepped out their doors and all these birds were flying into roofs, into windows, cars mm -hmm. and buildings and some people were bitten by the birds. Of course, a lot of the birds died and needless to say, the incident terrified everyone who undoubtedly wondered what the heck is going on with mm. these birds. And they never really knew what happened until... 2012 and it turns out that the flock of birds probably ate some bad anchovies contaminated by a toxic algae bloom offshore and that poisoned them with a neurotoxin which explained all of their bizarre behavior but you know that movie had mixed reviews at first but went on to become something of a horror classic and regardless when i think about it i think boy i'll, I'll never look about that birds the same way again yeah. after that yeah one. yeah but i'll tell you i'll I still eat i'll still eat anchovies on pizza thanks <laughs> right, wow <laughs> plot twist <laughs> so we talked about it at, at the beginning some of these lighter horror genres and and takes on things as well where it's a bit funny but also scary yeah so you know if truly terrifying isn't your thing or you need a tamer version of animal Halloween horror for the kids in your life, you know, um, you could look up the Adams family. Um, believe it or not, um, they had um, a pet lion who was Morticia's pet lion named Kitty Cat. And, you know, in spite of the fact that people sometimes disappear around him mysteriously, the Adams family maintains that he can't stand the taste of people. <laughs> and, you know, in the 1960s TV show, there was an episode where poor kitty cat fell ill and they called a veterinarian to come out and see him. And, you know, figuring that the vet needed some, you know, in the room with the lion and wondered why he seemed so afraid of a harmless animal. And, you know, I think that episode was a little scarier for me than for most people, because I think, oh, my gosh, <laughs> these poor people. Honestly. Can you imagine Any him just trying to get out? Like, just, no, no, don't, don't, don't leave me. You'll be fine. Boom. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was like. Can't understand why he's so afraid of a harmless animal. Hmm. I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I guess the last one, I asked my daughter who the scariest animal character is in a kid show. And she right away told me that for her, that was the Halloween hound from a Disney Halloween show called Spooky Buddies. Oh. And, you know, in the story, saying the words Halloween hound three times in front of the warlock's mirror will allow the nasty hound out where it can turn things into stone and suck their souls out. It seems a little dark for Disney. Wow. So I have to admit that, you know, I looked up some images of this Halloween hound on the Internet and it was actually pretty scary. It's a large black mastiff type dog with glowing green eyes and a really bad attitude. <laughs> oh no! Wow. <laughs> I guess so. If I you're turning, you know, something into stone and then going through the effort to suck out the soul, yeah. why not suck out the soul first? Then. So. <laughs> well, from the title down to the characters down to the actual action items, I love this story. <laughs> Danielle, we can only get to all of this today, but I'm so glad we squeezed this in. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Happy Halloween. Thank you. Definitely lots of reminiscing on some classics, too. Next week, Danielle Jeanquin is going to touch on an underdiagnosed uh, problem in cats. It's arthritis. I know a lot of us are thinking, hey, some not bad weather in different parts of Canada right now. Keep that thought. But... 
Be mindful, folks. Winter boots keep our feet warm and help us get around icy and treacherous conditions. Francis Wong is going to share some tips of how to find the best boots, what you should be looking for in two minutes. So all through Danielle's segment, I was thinking which animals scared me the most. I, I remember Cujo really actually mm-hmm. giving me the willies, but I put it down to, well, I'm not really a, a dog person. Uh, on other shows, certain animals, spiders have never really bothered me. But, but anything where, I remember one plane crash movie, uh, one of the airport Aww. movies, I think it was. Uh, and, and when they first started doing these ones, they were just horribly scary. Then they got silly. Um they had one where it crashes into the Everglades and there's snakes, gators and stuff like that. So I remember as a child that that was it. So sometimes I think that's how come I'm a little funny about alligators. Not so much about snakes. My mom was. How about you? Any mm. of these movies or reading the Stephen King books, they get to you? Yeah, I think it's just anything that feels foreign to me. And that could honestly even be things that are around Ontario that you could run into. But if you just don't know, I think. The rabbit stuff, anything with rabies, does make me freak out a bit, just a bit. I think because about, we go hiking, and then when you oh, think sure. dusk and dawn is a bit different, and you know anything can get rabies now. So coyotes, yeah, exactly. You know, I was safer when I thought the Raccoon coyotes were only a character on Bugs Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, running around out in Arizona Amazing. with the Roadrunner, I didn't worry about it until someone said, "What are you talking? About? We have lots of coyotes here." I think the safest time for us walking around, especially if we've got big boots on, is the winter time. We don't worry as much about the animals then because everybody's sleeping, aren't they? Anyway, let's chat about the world of health and wellness with Francis Wong. Hello, I'm Francis Wong, and I invite you to join me as we explore topics of health and wellness so that you can make the best choices for you to live an informed and radiant life. When the first snow starts falling... Our attention tends to turn to our outerwear and how to stay warm, and particularly winter boots, as not only do they keep our feet nice and toasty warm, but they help us get around what can be some icy and treacherous conditions. Francis, welcome back to the show, and today, a handful of cool tips, shall I say that, with winter boots as we're picking and looking through the how to make that choice of good winter boots for us. Thanks, Kelly. Yeah, since Halloween was just yesterday and we just had this whole talk about Halloween with Danielle, (laughs) we know that it's time to move on to the next thing. And that's the Santa Claus parade, right, Kelly? You betcha. (laughs) Sure. There he is right now. And he's got fantastic boots. Yeah. So I know that stores are going to be putting out winter decorations and, of course, selling winter boots. Um, The weather might not seem that wintry right now, but we all know that the best time to shop is right at the start of the season when there is the greatest selection of not only the styles, but sizes. And we know that fashion, I mean, time waits for no one. So when it comes to shopping for winter boots, you want a boot that not only keeps you warm, but ideally also keeps you safe from falling on ice. Some people love fashion above all else and may still choose a fashionable winter boot that may not be as functional while other people are all about warmth and traction. And I'm not ashamed to say that's me. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm hands down 
function over fashion. I'll be the girl out there wearing the ugliest boots and parka if it's going to keep me warm any day over completely being fashionable but freezing to death. But hate to each their own, right? 100%. 100%. So since you mentioned it, let's talk about former functionality. What kinds of winter boots are actually out there, first of all? Sure, Ramya. When we're choosing a winter boot, one of the most important deciding factors is what you plan to use the boots for. Are you planning to use these in your day-to-day commute to and from the office or just for walks around town? In these cases, you can go with a more casual style boot. However, if you're planning on using the boots for some serious winter hiking and outdoor activities, you might want to consider getting the boots that have a lot more insulation and winter traction for activities such as snowshoeing. In all cases, though, I think it's important to also choose a boot that has good ankle support. If you're on the move a lot, you'll want to consider the weight of the boot, too. Lighter ones will allow you to move more quickly during those physical activities. Heavier, thicker, and warmer boots will be the way to go if you're just walking around town and not moving so much that the boots will keep your feet toasty and warm. And luckily for those who are fashion inclined, the casual boots tend to have a cleaner and sleeker line so that you can also look good whilst trying to stay warm. Yeah. See, I tend to figure if I'm standing at a, you know, a bus stop or anything like that, you want that, that boot to keep you warm. You're not moving as much, but like you say, that heaviness of the boot. Oh, um, what is another factor to consider when choosing that winter boot? The height of the boot is definitely a major consideration. Mm -hmm. Are you someone that tends to run hot? If you're always hot, even if the weather is cool out, then you can go with a shorter height. But if you're someone who runs cold all the time, then having that extra couple of inches to bring the boots to knee height will keep you much warmer. And you'll also want to think about your use case for the boots. Are you spending very little time outdoors, even though it's winter? For example, if you're walking a short distance to the bus or subway and then hopping out into a building, you don't need to have a super warm boot. In fact, insulation is the other thing to consider when buying a winter boot. If your boot is super warm, you may end up sweating a lot. And then sweat has a way of making the insides of your boot cold and damp. Mm -hmm. And then you can end up with really unhappy feet. So you know what I'm talking about. Well, you know, and the the other thing about the height that always bothered me is I tended to look for higher boots in case I ended up, well, where the heck's the walkway here? Where's the opening? Ah, I need to trudge right through a pile of snow as a blind person, you know, trying to find my way through somewhere. But like you say, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a drag if it's kind of like having a little more boot than you need for what Mm -hmm. I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're someone who walks long distances outside, you're going to need to factor in how much of that time is static versus if you're constantly moving. So we were talking about at the bus stop. Um, If you're standing around a lot, your feet are going to be getting cold more quickly. And I know we're talking about function over fashion, but in this case, also consider your overall outfits that you tend to wear and the climate of where you live. If you have short winter, if you have a short winter bomber, then almost all your legs are going to be exposed, which isn't much of a problem if you're on the West Coast where the winters are fairly mild. I mean, you could almost get away with just having rubber rain boots and adding a warm liner liner if you live in Vancouver. For East Coast winters, I choose the longest parkas available to get as much coverage over my thighs that I can. And then I personally like having tall winter boots so that I'm really exposing just a fraction of my legs to that brutal winter wind. So a couple of inches below and above my knees. 
And of course, if you are in a more remote area where there's a lot of snowfall, then taller boots might be a, sp- a smarter idea so that you're not getting snow inside your boots, just like you said, Kelly. Exactly. It's like we live in the remote, even if we don't, because we're always getting off the paved and, we, and getting yeah. into the giant We live giant in the world of snowbanks, right? Of, of, Pretty of, much. Of plows. <laughs> Pretty hey, much. I, I missed the, the curb cut like 10 miles ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, since we're talking about a lot of snow and staying warm, what about the point that you mentioned at the start of the convo about ice and not slipping and sliding? Yes. So traction is definitely something to keep in mind for real winter conditions. Did you know that slips and falls are to blame for the majority of hospitalization injuries? This tops even car accidents, according to the Canadian Institute for Health Information. Four out of five seniors are hospitalized due to falls. Of course, this isn't due just to falling on ice, but includes tripping on a rug that isn't flush to the floor or tripping and falling due to an item that shouldn't have been on the ground in the first place and things like that. But it's still significant and we can reduce that by making sure that our boots have a good grip to handle icy conditions. Yeah, because in winter, there's an awful lot of those even inside more tripping hazards, slipping hazards. Yes, yes. Um, And you're in luck if you're not sure where to start. CBC Marketplace did an investigation with the research arm of Toronto University Health Network's Rehabilitation Institute called KITE. According to their website, KITE stands for Knowledge, Innovation, Talent Everywhere. And they are a world leader in rehab science and are dedicated to improving the lives of people living with the effects of disability, illness, and aging. They ran a test company um, comparing a few popular brand name boots. We're talking about Merrill, Sorrel, Kamek, Ugg, Timberland, and Wind River. Every year, they rate the boots on various qualities, and one of those qualities is traction. So Mm. would you like to take a guess at how many percentage of winter boots fail the slip test on ice? I'm afraid to say that too many. Uh I'm going to say more than 70%. Yeah, Yeah, you guys are both right. Yeah. Yeah. Five out of six, which is about 83%. Yeah. Because I know. Yeah. That's pretty high. Because I know from experience. You know, try them for traction. Like, why else? Then I'd be just be in my runners. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I can just, at least you could skate places. But you know what they say? Experience (laughs) is the best teacher. Down. Ow. It's like saying. Five out of six uh, winter tires don't have traction. Like, that's ridiculous. Exactly. Unbelievable. <laughs> I feel like they have better standards for tires than they do for yeah, boots. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so. So the way that they tested these boots was by changing the angle of the incline of the floor in the testing chamber from zero to 15 degrees. And they covered this flooring with ice. The CBC reporter would wear the boots and a harness for safety. And that harness was attached to the ceiling. And then slowly the incline of the floor was increased until the boots could not hold onto the ice. And just as a point of reference in Ontario, accessibility ramps and curb ramps should not be exceeding a seven degree slope. Okay. So Kite has this website called Rate My Treads, and there you can look up hundreds of boots and how they score. For the website, which is separate from the CBC study, they have four different participants walking on the flooring, which is set up for both wet and cold and dry ice. So the results are compared per round, and then an overall rating is assigned based on the lowest score achieved for a particular boot. And I think the rating system is kind of cute because they give boots snowflakes instead of stars. So, <laughs> and then you must be able to walk up an elevation of seven degrees minimum, which is like the one we're talking about for the ramp, before mm-hmm. the boot is awarded a single snowflake. 
So if you look up your favorite boot and it has zero snowflakes, that means it fails to make it even halfway up the ramp. Wow. A degree of seven to 10 is considered medium slip resistant. Degrees of 11 to 14 would be considered highly slip resistant and would score two snowflakes. And if the boot can handle a degree of 15 or more, then it warrants three snowflakes. So wow. if you don't have the time or interest in checking out their website, the takeaway from this is that you really can't tell by looking at the treads how effective it's going to be against the ice. What mm. you want to do is find boots with fiber embedded soles for the best traction on ice and slippery surfaces. Yeah, as we were talking about snow tires before that uh, may damage the road, but they hold you to it. Uh, you've talked about so many important things about buying a, a pair of winter boots. Anything other, Any other considerations? Yeah, so I touched briefly on warmth. And while some winter boots will make a claim of being good for up to minus 30 Celsius, this is also going to be dependent on several things. How thick the socks are that you're wearing, how fast your metabolism is, how tight or loose the boots are, how much you're moving around, and even the type of insulation in the boot itself. So take that number with a grain of salt. In terms of insulation, the most common is synthetic, like Thinsulate, and the other is sheepskin or wool. Light to mid, um, mid-weight boots generally have 200 to 400 grams of insulation. So there are definitely a lot of things to consider when choosing winter boots, but I think the most important one goes back to the traction and finding boots that have that embedded fiber to grip the ice. After all, you really don't want to um, have a fall. You want to be able to enjoy the rest of the winter. Mm. Yeah, certainly don't need the injury and you don't need to have to get up after falling on your butt in the snow and be all wet and cold from that either. So then you're still yeah. dealing with a whole different problem. Then we'll be Or spend a whole back. bunch of money and then realize your boots can't walk up a ramp, you know? Like it's, Exactly. It's well, very, I'm more concerned with the coming down, to be honest with you. <laughs> that's you know, what your butt's for. <laughs> that's right, because that's what you'd have to do, slide for sure. Francis, thank you so much. Thanks, Kelly. Excellent stuff, excellent information. Uh, Francis Wong joins us bi-weekly to talk wellness, opposite our nutrition segment with Julia Carantis. We've got a lot more program ahead, and particularly because yesterday we had an interesting announcement here on Kelly and Company. We mentioned some huge changes that were on the horizon to our program. John Melville, Vice President of Content Development and Programming for AMI-TV and AMI-audio, joins us to share with us some of the background and what to expect next. As a matter of fact, we can get some others gathered around too and see what they have to say about it all. Up next, here on Kelly and Company. In Canada, I want you to do me a favor. Check out AMI-audio right from your TV, folks. You can listen in. Bell, for example, got us on channel 49 over there. And Kojiko, Ontario, you customers over there can listen to us on channel 596. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Back to the November 1st. First day of November edition of Kelly and Company. Appreciate wherever you're listening and around the world you being uh, along with us. I'm Kelly McDonald with Ramya Muthan.
So the fun thing about sharing announcements, Kills, is to hear how everybody's feeling about these announcements. Oh, yes. We've been holding back, to say the least, for the last several months. And we're going to try to squeeze in as many people and as many perspectives as possible right now. We're starting by welcoming in John Melville. He's the Vice President of Content Development and Programming for AMI-TV and AMI-audio. And John has been a huge part of this transition for television uh, that we're making on January 9th. That's when uh, Kelly and Company becomes Kelly and Rumia and launches to AMI-TV and simulcasted on AMI-audio. So, John, welcome back to the show. We have lots to ask you. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Rumia. Good to be here. Hi, Kelly. Um, this is very exciting. It is very exciting. So we chatted about this, Kelly and I, yesterday uh, during our sixth anniversary show. And then, of course, the press release was sent out today. Do you want to tell the audience how this whole, the step, the project, however you refer to it, this transition uh, came to be? Well, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it's been going on for a bit of time now. And I think what we realized was the opportunity that you guys have had with the success of the show on AMI audio, that uh, TV does have a, a few extra viewers because it does get into a few extra places. And the opportunity to have you on the TV channel would be something that would, you know, be expanding the show. And so we looked at everything and felt that we could, potentially do this but what we would need to do was make sure that we transitioned you guys to television without upsetting what you've already got which is a fantastic show every day right so we've been in the planning stages for some time and we realized that we would need to put in new equipment and 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 really sort of build AMI into a live TV environment and that's what we've been doing essentially for the last six months and so we didn't want to say anything too early until we got our ducks in a row, as they say, so that we could at least make sure that this was all going to happen and we were going to launch on the date that we picked. Well, we are very fortunate, too, because part of that is us being able to do things from our home studios, which uh, have been getting put together for us. Has there been challenges, John, that we can share with the audience as this process has unfolded, whether it's behind the scenes conversations or the build you're discussing? Well, there's always challenges. I've been on a few builds in my career, um, and uh, it, it, the, you have to anticipate that uh, it's going to be complicated. Uh, whenever you take anything that is, you know, in a routine and, and try and change things, it does become complex. But I have to say that the silver lining in our challenges actually came during the pandemic, um, and that was the whole move to remote work. So what we all experienced, I think a lot of people can relate to it, was more use of things like Zoom and Teams and remote calls and, you know, 12 boxes on a screen, that kind of thing. But as we found out, too, with the operations that we have with uh, Dave's show now, as well as potentially you guys going on, was that we wanted to make sure that we could, you know, do the show either at a studio or in a home environment. And Kelly, you guys will remember, I think last summer we tested it all out. We, we've had people in and out of your home and installing things, putting microphones in your ear, you know, all of this kind of stuff, right? To really see if it was possible because when you're doing a live TV show, obviously you need to make sure that, you know, things are consistent. You're not going to be dropping in the middle of the show. 
And as everybody who's been on a Zoom or a Teams call knows that, you know, mic's muted, you know, or your bandwidth <laughs> goes and you disappear for five seconds or you all <laughs> pixelate and your, your you know, your voice goes away. So we wanted to make sure that none of that would happen as well. And uh, our operations team, which is being led by Kyle Harper, has been very busy making sure that we could test everything out and, and what we call a proof of concept. So here's what we thought we could do. Now let's make sure we can do it. And therefore, we go through all the paces and work with you guys to see if it will all work. Yeah. And it's really, really fun. Now, you talked about the uh, potential studios from home and getting all of that set up. But how about the changes going on at the AMI studios over there? Because there's a lot of fun stuff happening. Yeah, well, what we decided when we when we launched the Now now with Dave Brown show a few years back, um, we, we kind of a, a evolved from audio and, and essentially built TV around it. But... Since we're going into more live television, we felt we needed to actually put in a proper control room environment. And what that essentially means is we have a switcher, it's a large switcher with a graphics position, a switching position, a director position, an audio position, and an apprentice position. So you've got essentially five or six people that are sitting in this control room for the duration of Dave's show and for your show. and that is what we're now building in at AMI. So what we've done is we have about a third of our building space on the second floor at our studios in Toronto that has been remodified to essentially put this control room place in. And again, a lot of that happened because many of our staff are kind of working from home now. And we've got this hybrid situation going on. So we don't have everybody in like we used to. So it was an opportunity to use some space that we had. And we were building custom desks and millwork to, you know, adapt this equipment. So it's all very exciting. It's an open space. It's uh, It's got accessible egress, et cetera, so that anybody can get in with a wheelchair. Or, you know, if you have a disability, we expect to be staffing with a full range of employees who can learn and do television for us in that environment. That's excellent. Absolutely fantastic, John. So many neat things going on as this build unfolds and, and including a space uh, for uh, Dave's show to be done for our, our in-studio in people to do uh, their hits. And I also have to say, folks, we will be having, while that training is going on, a period of time where uh, we are not doing live shows as everything gets to be uh, together. That will happen in about five weeks of time. But as John mentioned, staffing. Discuss that. I'd also like to welcome in at the moment as we've had changes, uh, Matt Agnew, Jeff Ryman, Grant Hardy are joining us. I uh, really would love it, guys, if we could just kind of go over a little bit about what's happened with each of you. A lot of people know Grant Hardy, and Grant's the newest member to the team as our Vancouver reporter, but now Grant, a different role. Yeah, hey guys, it's been very exciting for me to go through this transition from AMI-TV to, uh, well, AMI-audio temporarily, and now we're going back to TV, which is incredibly exciting. Uh, you'll see me and hear me on the air for my lifestyle headlines, uh, my health, my what in the world, hopefully a few other things down the road too. And I'm helping to support the team with some behind the scenes work as well, lining up stories and doing scripts, writing and stuff like that. Um, I'm, I'm incredibly 
and delighted to be part of this team. It's everyone is just so gracious and kind and welcoming. Uh, but more importantly, I think the show is going to be uh, even more the incredible staple that it's been really for the last uh, six years as we moved to TV. And it just has so much great content, great hosts, great contributors, and uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll just keep getting better and better. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been really, really fun working with you, Grant. And uh, of course, our listeners have been hearing on air your um the the headline segments that you've been bringing us but also lots more behind the scenes uh, jeff ryman also moving to some new and interesting things right jeffy yeah it, it actually kind of hit me really for the first time this week as my uh i've officially transitioned over to the visual producer role for kelly and remya and uh, before you guys obviously heard me on the air um, I, I'm taking more of a, a backseat to the on-air stuff, more of the behind-the-scenes stuff. And as the visual producer, uh, lately I've been working on, you know, visual stuff, um, you know, for lack of better words. Uh, that would include basically anything you see on your TV screen will uh, be pretty much put together by me or, or people who are, who are going to be working closely uh, around me. So, Pretty excited. Like I said, this week uh, has been very different than uh, the last five years of, you know, chasing stories and and uh, producing segments um, for, for, for you guys. But, yeah, I'm excited to see where this goes. And when we do credits now, folks, we can actually use proper titles, such Ooh, as yeah. senior producer for uh, Kelly and Ramya, Matt Agnew. Matt, what's your role like? Yeah, well, I've I've got a big change ahead of me. Um, I've I've been fortunate to uh, work on this show since its launch in 2016 in a couple of different capacities, but um, mostly technical. And uh, I'm, so I'm taking a big step away from the control room uh, in the next year and um, serving as a senior producer. And um, you know, I, th- I think part of my new role is is offering some creative direction and uh, as an audio editor and a sound designer, it's been really cool to sort of jump into this new medium and, and, you know, working closely with Jeff to sort of find our visual style. Um, you know, we, we want the graphics to, to complement the, the sound style that, that we've created over many years in radio and, you know, balance it with something that's, that's eye-catching, but also good accessibility design. And so I've been spending some time with, uh, with our friends here, M. Williams in the IDV department and, um, and just learning a lot about, you know, TV and motion graphics and design uh, over the past months. And, yeah, so I'm I'm just really excited about what we're what we're going to bring to not only longtime listeners but also new viewers. Tons. That's what we're bringing. We're going to bring tons. Thanks, Matt <laughs> and Jeff and Grant, uh, for joining us and giving us a little bit of a sneak peek and getting on air for that. Uh, also, John Melville, of course, joining us. Thank you all. Appreciate it. And John, we'll catch up with you soon because I'm sure there's a lot more answers that you're going to give us and uh, teasers for listeners. You bet. And congratulations on six amazing years, guys. It's uh, I can't believe it's been quite a ride. eh? It's, uh, it's good. All excited about Jan 9th. So uh, we'll see you all live on TV in, on, on, in the new year. Absolutely. Take care, John. We Take were care. speaking with along with John Melville, who is the uh, Vice President of Content and Development for AMI-TV and AMI-Audio, visual producer Jeff Ryman, senior producer Matt Agnew, and reporter Grant Hardy on our chat leading up to television.
We'll step aside for a moment. We'll be back with Hour 2. W. Ross McDonald School will be uh, talking to us about the event they just hosted, the Walk for Windjack. Uh, we'll be talking to some of the students that were participating. Woodworker Jeff Thompson, he'll be here. But up next, community reporter uh, Julie Martin from Pictou County, Nova Scotia. Welcome back for Hour 2 of Kelly and Company. Romeo Amuthan, Kelly McDonald, host. Gentlemen, it's not a move. It's an expansion. Simulcast still here over on AMI-audio. Available as a podcast. And we're very lucky to have all of that and to have you out there hanging in with us. It, it really it really is just a, a, a big expansion of the program. So anyone out there thinking, oh, man, if they're doing that especially our neighbors to the south or any people that listen uh, around the world, you still will be able to get us live at 2 p.m. Eastern. You'll still be able to enjoy the content from the podcast. So I, I think that's one of those things that we didn't really say a lot about yesterday or today Rum, while talking with John and the guys. Honestly, it's it feels more and more real the more we talk about it. Um, now it's like officially real, <laughs> right? So uh, there's just the... There's a lot to share. There's We're just hitting the surface with all this stuff. I'm very excited. And we'll now in a position to keep you posted as things unfold, ladies and gentlemen. Mondays and Tuesdays, of course, as we get back to business, we get a chance to visit and check in with one of our community reporters. Julie Martin joins us now with news from Pictou County, Nova Scotia. Welcome back, Julie. How are you? I'm awesome. You guys are amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you. Wow. You're part of that, too. I know too. that it's, it's becoming very real. Um, for me, it's becoming very scary mm. that I can't just do my community reports in my pajamas anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll have to set the camera to a certain oh. angle so that no, you know, oh. you're happy with shoulders and head, and away we go. So yeah. I, I don't think you have to yeah. worry too much about about that or go Pretty spend true. tons of money for wardrobe. Um, Julie, oh, it's going to be fun. No, I'm not That's doing for sure. That. <laughs> for sure. I like how that's sure. so definite. I'm not doing that. Are you crazy, guys? Um, can we talk oh, about new equipment gosh. for the snow in Pictou County? I can't wait for it to snow. <laughs> People are starting to um, get very upset with me. And I keep saying, look, I just want it to snow and then it can go away again after I tried the kick sleds until after Christmas. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I've been looking forward to this piece of equipment, adaptive equipment coming to Pictou County since we ordered them in late spring. Um, at that time, um, a group that I am um, the chair of, like Abilities Work, a not-for-profit multi- um, disability group um, we had money left over from a grant that we were able to purchase two of these kick sleds and Pictou County Parks and Rec were purchasing four um, they ended up having more available funds than they thought and the more kick sleds 
they ordered, the cheaper each one became. And when I got the call last week that they were here, come check them out. Instead of the six that I originally thought we were getting, we got 12. Wow. I mean, I'm just absolutely over the moon. They're amazing. That's amazing. Um, for that's, that's all right. types of disabilities. All they're, ages. they're versatile too, aren't they? Very versatile. Extremely. Yeah. Yeah. And Kelly, they are, I didn't realize this when Claire ordered them, but they are different sizes. So they are sized from a child all the way up to XXL. Wow. So they can, um, up to 400 pounds. So, I mean, I'm just thrilled. Um, they're yeah. so versatile. We'll talk they're about so... it being inclusive, right? Yes. Yes. So I can't wait, like I said, for it to snow that we can try those out. And I also <laughs> wanted to mention um, when it comes to um, versatile equipment, it's not all about physical, like you don't have to be out there and doing things. We have giant size that you can check out and take home. We have giant sized um, checkers, Pong, um, Yahtzee, um, Tic-Tac-Toe. Sorry, I need to turn my page here. Um, Jenga, giant Jenga, giant bean toss, giant twister, and giant connect four games. So wow. for those of That's us amazing. that have low vision, it is. Pictou County Parks and Recreation and the library are phenomenal when it comes to um, just eliminating barriers for all abilities, not just physical or mental or sensory. It's financial. It's it's everything. It's just okay. You, everybody should move to Pictou County. It's amazing. <laughs> ah, but then you'd get no time on any of the equipment <laughs> or the games and everything like that. Uh, we'll put that up on the blog too, Julie. Ami.ca slash Kelly. Thank Co. you. Thank you. But you know, you said exactly what I was thinking. Though we should all be moving to Pictou County. <laughs> like, get, go where we where know the what, Rob. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, New Glasgow just won a global award. They were presented it in Cannes, France for being the most um, accessible, aging, well-together community. Oh, wow. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm just so proud. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I'm so proud of the way that everybody in Pictou County thinks outside of the wheel mm. when it comes mm-hmm. to accessibility. It's amazing. 
And these recognitions, yeah. we know, like when we talk about uh, Rick Hansen Foundation standards and all of these other yeah. things, these recognitions are humongous because it means that you mm-hmm. are a place, like, you know, your community is a place people can uh, go to or, you know, look at and consider as uh, when we're they're thinking, where do we start? You know, how do we go for, to that? Exactly. So cool. Um, exactly. Keep going. Because there's more exciting news, yes. and this one gets me excited. I'm not gonna lie; it may seem like a, a basic thing for some people, but it's very exciting. Introduction to sighted guide techniques with you, yes. the CNIB volunteer. Yes. Tell us more. So, um, the library. Um, I'm the chair of the accessibility advisor committee for Pictou and Nikanish Regional Library, and um, they are so open um, to everything. And um, their staff training included training from me um, with this. So we've developed it into a program. And it's not only in person, it's virtual. So you can join it on Zoom. Um, yes, I talk about basic sided guide training, you know, how to effectively and safely guide somebody. But it's more about all those little bits and pieces that make people with sight loss feel safe and secure enough so that they can venture out into their community and have a safe and enjoyable experience. So how to communicate with somebody with sight loss like don't tell me it's over there that's no good to me don't tell me it's pink that's no good to me tell me it reminds you of candy floss or strawberries Mm. or whatever shade of pink it may be right um and then again like you know um susan um the accessible um person at library headquarters that helps us all navigate SELA and all those other um, programs that are available for us. We've chosen a book that, as a sighted person, you can choose right off the shelf in the library, or it's available in large print, or it's available as a playaway, or through SELA and NELS, as a downloadable thing that you can access straight from your home. So we've gone that route as well with the, with the, um, program. Um, and I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm nervous and I'm looking forward to feedback. It's the first time I've done this program on my own without a CNIB, um, employee or an M person. So yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to it. I really am. I think we're going to yeah, have a lot of fun. You should be very excited, proud, and pleased of what you know, you're know you about to, to embark on. And we know you've got this. Yes. <laughs> It'll be absolutely wonderful. I got this. And mostly, of course, yeah. Julie, as we say, it's the benefit for so many others. Julie, thank you. We're out of time. We're going to have to skip on. Uh, okay. So we'll put all this up on the blog, ami.ca slash Kelly. Thanks, Co. guys. Beautiful to hear we'll your talk voice. To you next month. Stay safe. Yes. Uh, Goodbye. Thank you. Appreciate the report. We'll talk to you soon. 
Uh, Julie Martin is our community reporter in Pictou County, Nova Scotia. Uh, we visit with our community reporters on Mondays and Tuesdays for their monthly visits with us here on Kelly and Company. We get to learn about the things that they're talking about, that they discover and are involved in, and things to keep us apprised of in their, their regions. Again, ami.ca slash Co for the things that they discuss with us on the program. Up next, on October 27th, W. Ross McDonald School hosted their Walk for Winjack event. This was organized by staff member Georgia East. We hear more about the project with some of the participating students up next on Kelly and Company. When you have time, folks, subscribe to the Kelly and Company podcast where you can listen to the program in its full version, the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience, where one of the team members also tosses on an audio vanity card, Matt Agnew, handling that for us today. So you want to check that out. That'll be at the end of the full, complete Kelly and Company podcast. Also, you can listen to the show in segment form. Have a favorite contributor or maybe join in on a segment in progress, but you want to go back and take a listen? Got you covered via the Kelly and Company podcast feed. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. Kelly McDonald, host of the program, my co-host in the Toronto Home Studio, Ramya Muthan. We're going to revisit some uh, of the events that took place last week, and we're doing this with some friends that we visit on the first Tuesday of the month. So last Thursday, October 27th, W. Ross hosted a Walk for Winjack. This is organized organized at W. Ross by uh, staff member Georgia East. And some of her students from last year and this year created these audio announcements to recognize the event. Um, And this was based on their journal entries and responses to the album by uh, Gord Downey called Secret Path. So first of all, before we get to chatting with these students and uh, their participation in everything, let's listen to a little bit of an audio collage. This was put together for us by Kayla Gill and our communications uh, staff member who helps us coordinate these segments. And so let's listen to this audio collage of these announcements. Last month, our school acknowledged Orange Shirt Day and National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. However, allyship and reconciliation are a lifelong process and requires ongoing work and consideration. One way to practice Indigenous allyship is to wear your orange shirt year-round, not just on Orange Shirt Day. Participating in the Walk for Wenjack is one way we can participate in truth and reconciliation. This is an event organized by the Downey Wenjack Fund to honor Channy Wenjack and all the children and families impacted by the residential school system in Canada. When Channy was nine years old, he was taken from his family and forced to attend a residential school where he was forced to learn English change his name and his culture. When I was 12 years old, I also have to learn English. At school, I was nervous because I couldn't speak English with my friends or teachers. The difference is that the school where I learned English was comfortable and they treat me very well. But school where Chen learned English was not comfortable, safe, or respectful. You can learn more about Cheney Winjack by listening or reading The Secret Path. I believe that The Secret Path is in reference to the train tracks Cheney walks on trying to find his way home. 
He didn't know where to turn or where to go, and he was all alone and trying to get home. He thought that he could find a secret path, but he ended up losing hope. When we participate in the Walk for Winjack, we are reminded that there is always hope as we walk towards truth and reconciliation. You can learn about Cheney's story by reading the book Secret Path or listening to the album. The book taught me about residential schools and the impact of your culture and your name being changed. Cheney is one of the indigenous children who never made it home. Cheney's family and Canadian musician Gord Downey now tell his story. And we honor him and all indigenous children in the Loch Fruinjack. Thank you to Miss Kayla Gillen for putting this collage together for us and um, really appreciate uh, all the voices and kind of kind of things to to take and consider on why this event was organized. So right now, let's get to know more about the project and the students involvement. And we have four students joining us as well as a staff member. That's always fun. We're joined by Jazir. Jazir, thank you. Welcome to Kelly and Company. Thank you. And Landon. Hello. Hello. Thank hey, you. Landon. Um, and Neon Gabo, am I saying your name right? Yeah, that's right. Hi. Hey, nice to meet you. And Connor. Hello. Hey, Connor. And Miss East is joining us as well. Uh, thank you for coming on, Miss East. Hi, thanks so much for having us. So I think we'll start with you because the pressing question is um, putting together a, an event like this must have taken some time. When did the preparation and all of that start for you and and maybe uh, the significance behind why you wanted to organize it? Um, well, it was our second annual Walk for Winjack this year and I put it together uh, with a few other staff members. We all were kind of on a committee together and we started around the second week of school planning. Excellent. Wow. What the, such a tremendous effort. Uh, I'm going to ask the students, guys, uh, how many of you were, were around for last year's walk? You could just shout out who, who was around for last year's walk, if any of you. Me? Yeah, me too. Okay. okay. How, how, how did it differ, guys? Was it compared to this year? Well, tell us a little bit about what you experienced last year and uh, what you experienced this year. Which one of you wants to go first? Oh, um, I, I, honestly, oh. like, um, last year, it was not even, you, you, you wouldn't even know like what was going on, but this year was more obvious because we did all these announcements. We like educated people a little bit about the walk before the walk, but last year I didn't even know like what was going on. This was more exciting and like knowing that we're, um, contributing to like, or, uh, I don't know how to say this. We knew what we we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. more experienced yeah. putting yeah. something like yeah. this together well and you you try something and i think that's the, the the thing that you feel so different when you know okay we did that once and hey let's go forward and, and do it the second time um who, who who else said they were were there and go ahead what what, what was your thoughts last year to um, this year i was there i was uh there last year and this year i could definitely say that this year i feel like there was more events to it uh, we had the walk and then, you know, they had the drums and all that playing. And I felt like there was more people who went this year. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. More, more awareness. And I, do you think that maybe because more people went because more explanation and we're hearing so much more in news and I'm sure you guys are talking about 
uh, different things that lend itself more to the topic or, or all that fantastic uh, effort that uh, Miss East put into this? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's all like combined together. I believe everyone spreading more awareness and then the staff and students who help organize all that stuff. I think it's a great example, this event that you guys put on, and um, it's amazing that you're here to talk about it with us and debrief because it kind of feels like um, how Truth and Reconciliation Day felt for me. You know, when we first had the day, when it was first um, pronounced in uh, across Canada as a stat holiday, we were all kind of like, what do we do? You know, how do we acknowledge this day? How do we take part in it? What does that mean to participate um, and to recognize? And then year after year, it feels like we're more, either we're more informed or we're more aware of what we could be learning, how we could be recognizing the day. And this Walk for Winjack feels like that, the way that you're, you're talking about it. The first year was kind of well, let's see what we can come up with. And then second year, you you feel stronger. You feel more um, foundation has been put into how to recognize it. So appreciate the efforts, first of all, on all of your parts. Now, I think we can go around the table maybe and talk about one thing, um, whatever you want to highlight, but one thing that you learned or recognized um, or participated in this event. You, you know, you taking part in this project and hearing the album, reading the book, making the announcements, participating in the actual walk, you know, showing up for this, how you felt and what you you want to um, highlight for us. So Jazir, can we start with you? Okay. Um, one thing I enjoy participating in is announcing at the Walk for Winjack the speeches about the Walk for Winjack and raising more awareness about it. Okay. So in the, during the announcements, like your preparation for the announcements, you felt like you were learning a lot? Yes. Okay. That's awesome. Great. Uh, Landon? All right. Well, I feel like we needed to spread the word, basically, and, and basically uh, we needed to educate others who probably wouldn't know, basically, on what would happen, basically, in, like, because when the residential schools, like when they first were around, no one really knew what happened, basically. And then mm -hmm. in 1996, that they put a stop to that because the last one was closed down in 1996 as I touched down in, in one of my uh, parts of the announcement, like the speech. Right. Did, did that feel um, emotional for you? I think a lot of people have so many emotional reactions to having learned about the history of, of our indigenous peoples, right, in Canada? Yeah. I mean, it it kind of, I mean, it was kind of heavy. There's heavy parts to it, basically, like, because, uh, I mean, it, it is kind of somewhat emotional, and but everyone, at the same time, everyone needs to know about this because this actually happened, and we don't really want history to repeat itself again. That's it, yeah. Yep. Yeah, when well, we tend to not look at things and say, "Hey, this was wrong. This is what happened. Let's get around it," and we we say, "Well, just just let's forget and move on." And and that's not what people need. It's not the best medicine. It's it's a lot of times just remember, don't repeat. That's what we want to try to do. Uh, yeah. Who's next here? Let Leon uh, Gabo, you're yeah. next. If you want to share. Yeah, sure. Oh, so this like for me, it started as just an English class, right? 
I, I I didn't really know anything about this. I didn't really think much of it. It was like, I need to do this because the teacher was like, we're going to learn about this. And I was like, okay, that's it. It just started as an English class where we learned about Cheney and what happened to the residential schools. But when I got deep into it, I was like, oh God, this really did happen. And yeah. mm. like looking back then and looking at the schools now, it's like, it's much like different. And like, I really hope it will get even more better than it was. Like, it is better right now. But as we continue, like Landon said, we do not want the history to repeat itself. But yep. we want things to get better, you know? And the only way to do that is really to keep having actions, right? Actions and education um, on what did happen so that we can be very aware and understand that this was not okay. Thank you for sharing. Connor, how about you? So last year in English class with Miss East, um, we started learning about Cheney and all that and all the indigenous stuff. And I was learning more and more and more that I learned. I realized that I never even heard of this stuff. And it was a shock to me. It was, it's a tragic part of history. And it's sad to know that such a thing would even happen. Yes. And I'm very happy that I, you know, that I can learn about it and that, that at least we don't have that going on anymore. And I'm happy that we at least give the indigenous people the, uh, like respect that they deserve now. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm just, I'm very sorry to all the indigenous people who experienced all that, because even if you didn't go to a residential school, I still feel like that would, would, affects you because it's a part of your culture and yeah. it's I really do feel that it's just it's crazy and I'm glad that I learned about all the indigenous stuff that I've learned yeah and, and Connor and the rest of you guys thank you for sharing Miss East can we give you the final words too on how for you this this event and and things that you want people to take away from this um well, overall, I just feel so proud of these guys and how seriously they took the event. It was a big, big ask, and it really is only October, so they only had a couple, uh, about a month to put it together, and they all mm -hmm. took it really seriously. And I think uh, our school as a whole really enjoyed the event. Um, we had student speeches and music performances, and a school came to do drumming with us, so it really was such a wonderful event for our community. But the main goal was that we were celebrating Indigenous voices and remembering Cheney Winjack and all the other children who were impacted by residential schools. So I think that these guys really did such a great job and I hope that it's an event that continues. It was our second one, but I hope it's definitely an annual thing so we can keep Me spreading too. that awareness and message. Yeah appreciate all of your voices today thank you so much for sharing about this uh that was done october 27th w ross hosted their walk for win jack organized by uh, staff member georgia east who joined us as well and talking about the album and and uh, book the secret path by gord downey we'll step aside for a moment woodworker jeff thompson he talks to us about the benefits of finding that local lumber yard
Welcome back to Kelly and Company. Romeo Muthan, Kelly McDonald, host of the show. And, you know, of course, the, the students and, and yourself, Romeo, mentioned Gord Downey and the effect that the late Gord Downey had, especially on the topic, especially residential mm-hmm. schools, Indigenous communities. And with the sincerity, with what these um, students took away, uh, you know, you sit back and, and you always think, because I look, did I hear anything like this when I was their age? And yeah. I always felt, oh, oh, Canada, we've been such a good little country. And mm-hmm. we were very quick to blame, oh, well, look at that stuff that's happening here, there. How could they ever do that in their history? They must be so embarrassed of that. And as have, we've heard some of the apologies over the years and now what's going on with our Indigenous communities and the apologies that have to go out, that they're deserving, that can't change history as we learn. And, you know, we, we kind of climb off the perch that Canada has sat on. And uh, yes, we've been very lucky. We have a very privileged life. We, we have so much to offer to everyone that's come to this country, everyone who has built this country. Um, and, and I think that that recognition and, and being able to say that being able to acknowledge that. But when you hear it from young people who are saying, mm-hmm. sorry, guys, it's just sorry. This is so awful. Yeah. Um, and I know myself, I must have been in a very privileged position of, and I think I knew enough about current events and things that were going on and history. It's just never being told those things. Yeah. And I you think stop. Wow. The sentiment behind this conversation for me is that, you know, you you learn there's still the shock factor of I can't believe that this is our history, but there's no denial, dismissal. Uh, It's just, you know, understanding, apologizing and working extremely hard to make sure that this doesn't continue happening. And and hearing that from, as you said, the younger um, generations is so refreshing and so honest and and also I want to shout out the Walk for Winjack in general as an uh, event, as uh, something that so many communities are taking on. I, I've participated myself a couple of years and it's just really, really incredible. I think of it as um, our Terry Fox runs, you know, something that just becomes so Canadian to do to continuously and annually recognize this huge initiative um, to support a cause, right? Yeah. Well, and as the students, and we've had people say this on the show, I've heard it said about other things, especially when we talk around Remembrance uh, Day days, and people say, lest we forget, right? We we don't mm-hmm. wish to forget the, the yeah. mistakes made that have caused conflicts or that have caused such abuse to, to communities, to people in our world, to one another. And, uh, you know, we, we do always have to keep that in mind so that we don't forget because then we're destined to repeat. Let's welcome in Jeff Thompson, ladies and gentlemen, as we switch gears and talk a little woodwork. Hello, Jeffrey. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing up there in Canada? Well, weather's still really nice. Some people right now could come to my area and be fooled and say, no, hold on, where's all this snow? It's never like that here on November 1st. (laughs) At least it arrives around the 4th or the 5th. Uh Uh, (laughs) But it's been uh, very good. Very good, sir. Um, 
you have an interesting topic for us today. And and I always think about lumber yards when I was a kid, and I always loved going near them, going in with my dad to look at stuff uh, when he was picking up for projects. I loved the smell of it. I loved helping and acting like I knew about wood and picking out things with him. So we're talking about the benefits of finding that local lumber yard. And, of course, the we'll get into the impact of that uh, driver uh, I guess some people that driver you know slash drill as you want to call it. Let's start though. Other than product, what's a lumberyard have to offer us? Oh, there's so many services that they have there, and all the workers there, they're all smart. I mean, they've been working. They've taken these from a tree down to something that you'll buy, and just the knowledge that you have, all the machine that they have, all the machines that they got, and you really don't see this up front, but they do this work behind the scenes and usually you just go in and you pick your lumber, you load her up and you haul it home. But the lumber yard has a lot of tools there. And if you get to know the guys, you can find out a little bit more. Hmm. So there's a, a lot going on at a lumber yard. What have you found through lumber yard connections? Well, I get tips from them. First of all, what <laughs> yeah. one of you know, they're knowledgeable and they're not all the salespeople up front. If you're in the backyard, you know, the lumber yard, backyard, if you're in the lumber yard, um, you can talk to the guy, ask him about the wood and stuff. And there's, they have a lot of like planing. Planing is something that you can do, but it, it takes a big machine. Sanding is okay if you're talking about a certain amount of it. Um, but they have the stuff there that, is huge machines. They do thousands and thousands of feet of this stuff. And if you ever have a little project there, just keep in mind that they do this stuff. And if you want to make it more specific, you can get it the way you want it. My sister just had me put some tongue and groove and we came to the short wall and only like 25 and 30 inches on each side of the door, but the door stuck out only so far, but the wood was thicker. So we're bringing it down there and they're going to plane it down and sand the, the good side down to a half inch from three quarters of an inch. I mean, that's doesn't sound like much, but that means the trim can go on there and you won't even know it. And it's just one of those small little things that you can do. You can also do um, special cuts, anything like that. And the other thing is you have carpenters going in there and cabinet makers. Cabinet makers like all their wood to be the same, so they can stockpile it up and build a cabinet here and there, and it'll match in the kitchen, no matter which wood they grab. Well, sometimes they go, ah, oh, this piece ain't that good. They call them seconds, and the okay. lumberyard kind yeah. of, sh- yeah, they sort them out, and you can get them for like half price. If the color's just a little bit different, and you're making a unique little product, that's kind of cool. You know, it's neat. You know, some of those seconds are really neat pieces. Yeah, and um, and a lot of people want them, especially, uh, you know, if you're newer to it, if you're making, if you make mistakes too, Jeff, or that doing that one-off product where it doesn't matter. Maybe you're just simply making a wooden box at home for someone or, or whatever, and you don't, it doesn't matter as long as it suits the space you're putting it in. Those seconds are vital. Oh, yeah, especially when you get one of those seconds, you... Um, might have a rough edge. One edge is rough. Mm-hmm. Well, you get to cut that off. So you get to practice squaring off your piece if you need that piece and then cutting your pieces down. And you didn't pay X amount. You paid half that or you, sometimes even less. You know, you just pick out the pieces you want. But these are the guys that work there that will show you 
where they keep the seconds. Be, believe me, if they're cutting up all that stuff for the, the professionals out there, they got some stuff that they don't want and might be just the right stuff for you at half the price. And and I'm going to say this, and I certainly, I'm probably going to say it the wrong way. You, as that person puttering around in his shop, creating stuff, stuff doing some projects, you're not likely to be spending a quarter of the money that these guys going out, the cabinet makers, the professionals out there doing stuff. So they're going to obviously cater to the to that business end of the stick. But in the meanwhile, hey, man, we appreciate you coming in here. So this is the price we're giving this stuff so that you keep coming back, that this is a benefit to you. I'm sure there's a lot of method to that as well. Oh, yeah. You get to know the guys and stuff, and pretty soon they see you as that guy that picked up all those seconds of the – um, Alaskan yellow cedar, <laughs> right? You know? And and it's go. They'll go. Hey, Joe. No, it's Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> but you know, you, you, they start to recognize something about you. I go in. I'm the blind guy. So th- they come right up to me, like, Hey, you know, what you looking for today, or something of that nature. I don't go in there a lot, but when I do, it's neat to go into those areas where you know you're going to run into the guys and and stuff and. You know, it, it's really cool. I, I, I think it's a, a resource that all of us, you know, if you're going to tinker like that, know that it's there. You don't have to go pick off the prime soft off the shelf, but they, they do have some seconds that are around and they do have some oddity stuff. They have some like weathered stuff I found out and I went to found this out, but the guy had some time and started walking around. And he goes, if you like outdoor stuff, some weathered stuff, that barn would look. He says, we got that, we got that, you know, it, it just opens up the window of opportunity for you to select some stuff. You know, people are always saying, you got to get some oak, got to get some maple, got to get this. Well, sometimes these surprises that you find that they mm. have there are really unique stuff, like yeah, for a little yeah. bench. And they, they show such a, make such a different, unique look to whatever project, like you say, a bench or something you're working on. Are a lot of these advertised services, I mean... You know, like you said, the knowledge alone that these folks offer. Right. No, it's kind of one of those things that they walk by the stuff every day. They know it. They expect you, you know, they probably are expecting to see people coming in with a half a semi truck ready to fill up or something. Um, Now, we're really talking about the lumber yard with the mills in them, too, where they're cutting up wood and doing stuff. So when you when you run into these guys and find out this stuff. I didn't know that I could they have these things called a time saver sander. Say you make a a door and a door is hard to sand down smooth, especially if it's a six panel door. Well, you can slide this through a time saver one time, an entire door one time through it sands one side, they flip it over, they sand the other side and they're done. I mean, that's a that's a lot of surface area. So this that's another another service that they have. But the guy just told me, he says, yeah, if you ever need to use the time saver, just let us know. You know, it's all about, they got downtime. They got money to be, there's money to be made. If I, if it costs me $35 to plane down or sand down six boards by them. Wow. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. It's kind of like you get to utilize the services or get to know the services and then utilize them as you continue to become a known face or so. But how about DIY, doing it yourself? Is that like you've talked about a lot of DIY, obviously, this is the woodworking segment. But do you feel like that's the goal of woodworking or, you know, why, why still consider these other options? 
Well, sometimes it's time and, and money yourself. I mean, I made two six panel doors. I didn't know about this service. Next six panel door I make, I'm scheduling my time. I'm going to bring it down there and let them run it through and I'll be back in an hour and moving forward. It took me a week before I was happy with what I was doing. And it's not the, not, it wasn't any better, any worse, but it's just the, the, it's the right name for that machine, the time saver and, you know, stuff like that. Um, the other thing is if you're, if you got a mill down, if you do get a job where someone wants a thousand of these or something like that, sometimes it's easier to say, Hey, you know, they mill, 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 they mill trim down there and stuff. I know a guy that made these, they call them certain type of tables that don't take one screw. They all lock together like uh, Lincoln logs in a sense. And he just had to make thousands of lengths of the stock. From there, he cut the lengths down and did the rest of the work to him. But he, instead of him ordering planks right. and then spending all the time down. So there is some benefits to letting them do part of the work for you. You know, like people like to customize cars, but they don't build it from the ground up. That's right. Exactly. And (laughs) you still order parts that have been made and so on. Yeah. And that's about what it's like. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit before we run out of time about the impact drill um, and some say, call it a driver? Yeah. It's really neat tool. I mean, we all have our drills and stuff when we use them like that, but then all of a sudden you got want to go, oh, I got a leg bolt. I can use this. But, you know, if you're going to put some leg bolts in, those are big, long screws and stuff, it, it takes a while to get them in by hand and stuff. But these impact ones are designed to that, and it's just like, you know, that sound, that, and you're done. You know, right. it just does the trick, and you don't wear out your other tools. Some of your tools are good tools, but when you go to the extreme to use them for something else, you can put some wear on them. So these impact things, if you're putting in sheet metal screws for like a gutter around a house, just zip, 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 you're you're just down the line doing it, and you're saving the wear and tear on your other tools that have a specific thing. So it's just an extra tool to help in the process of doing something, making it a little bit easier and not ruining some other tools. I mean, I'm curious to know, like, how people can balance between all these different things, uh, you know, continue to learn new and continue to know that these are challenges that, that you want to take on, um, but also say, yeah, but I don't want to spend all this time just <laughs> sanding or whatever, and then continue um, on. Do you want to get to the impact drill uh, driver, anything else on that? You know, they do make impact drill drivers that are hammers, like taking off lug nuts. That's not what I'm talking about. Those come with a socket end on them. I'm talking about the kind that you can put just a little bit in there that might have a screwdriver tip, or you can put a socket bit in there and do some work with it. And they're not that expensive, but they, they're they just a time saver. And once you get them set up right, they, they do it. It's experience after a while. I wouldn't say go out and get one as your only thing. Go get a drill driver. That's perfectly good you know but as you go on and you start doing more projects you'll start to you know the horizons will you'll see stuff out there and you'll go huh and start asking questions ask those guys at the lumber yard they probably know all the answers and know when you could use something or not whether you're using it for lug nuts on a car or whatever right Mm -hmm. because that torque value on that right 
money. The yeah. right tool for the right job, right? Yeah. And it's nice when you have stuff, if you have the money to get it and pick it up, but not really nice if you really don't have a use or you go by three years and say, geez, I, I never really use this. It just gets in the way when I'm moving stuff around. Well, the thing about those impact drivers and even your drill driver, the battery operated one, it's the battery that costs you the money. So if you are going to be looking for one, make sure you check out how many batteries come with it. If a battery comes with it, because that's where they'll get you. They'll see you coming because Mm -hmm. those things aren't cheap. (laughs) And they know, oh, sure, you need this one. That's why, again, it's nice to know the people you're dealing with at the hardware store or, like you say, the lumberyard. Jeff, wonderful stuff. Thanks, pal. Thanks. You guys have a good one. Yeah, we'll talk to you next month when we visit. We'll cover fencing, plumb lines, and setting posts, folks, with uh, Jeff as we talk woodworking on the first Tuesday of the month with Jeff Thompson right here on Kelly & Company. Well, folks, we're going to stand by here for a couple of minutes, and when we return, we've got for you what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown, their program on at 9 a.m. in the morning over on AMI-tv. We'll tell you a little bit about our show for tomorrow and look back on today right after this. When you have time, venture out and subscribe to the Kelly and Company podcast. Appreciate it if you would. Maybe uh, give us a rating and review. You can listen to the show in segment form. And you can also listen to the show in the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience with the audio vanity card today submitted by Matt Agnew, our senior producer. Mm-hmm. Nice to be able to throw that title around <laughs> as we were talking about earlier. Uh, Rum, any segments you want to suggest that people go back and take a listen to? Well, we had lots of great conversations today. I think I'll go back to winter boots simply because it's actually a brilliant idea thinking about winter boots now. Um, Not only can winter boots be very expensive, but based on our conversation today with Francis Wong, there's actually a lot to consider. Um, The traction, the insulation level, the height, the fashionability, is that a word? And all the above. So um, she mentioned kite, which was, uh, she got into to details about what that is, uh, but you can go on there and check out all these different ways that your boots are being rated, and they're doing a fantastic job. I learned so much today on that on that convo. So, do you realize when Paul Daniel joins us in a moment, we'll have had thirteen other voices on the show today? Really? Yeah. No, excuse me, I correct myself. Fifteen, uh, fourteen, I've been counting. Fourteen. Damn. Wow. I, I think I'm I think I'm pretty uh, square on that. Um, but wonderful, wonderful discussions. Um, I think for me, of course, I, I've got to go back to I loved Danielle's reminders of all those unpleasant animals. If you want to watch some movies with scary animals in them uh, from the comfort of your couch, she has a great recommendation uh, from our uh, veterinarian segment today as she returned to the program. Also returning to the program today, Paul Daniel joins us. Good day, sir. Hey, Kelly. And by the way, Ramya, yes, fashionability, it is a word, which means an adjective observed of or conforming to the fashion, stylish and modish. So there you go. Thank so just, you. Just in case you, hey, I figured, why not? I'm sitting here waiting for you to go on the air. You know, I'm thinking, That's why right. Not? Uh, tomorrow's uh, well, I'm show. waiting for you guys to shut up so I can come on the air. I'll look the word up. 
Well, that too, but that, I want to be more polite on the air. On tomorrow's show, Shane Baker will break down the confusing world of vitamins and supplements. He'll give us some suggestions as to what to keep in mind when choosing the right vitamin supplement for uh, for use. Derek Lackey, mm-hmm. our community reporter in Winnipeg, will give us the details about the upcoming Access- Accessibility Sport Council Sport Expo. And our contributor and journalist John Lepke will discuss the impact of the Hockey Canada scandal on both the men's and women's para-ice hockey teams in trying to retain funding for the respective programs. Mm, very good. Yeah, some really interesting comments I've heard about that yeah. kind of stuff. And, you know, even down to being very happy, feeling very privileged by for players and people to be involved sure. in the programs, but also always seeing, hmm, how are they cheaping out here? How are they cheaping out there? It's that parody. And, it's parody. Yeah, it's yeah parody. and you're seeing that. And then when you have stuff go down like it is now, how are we even going to maintain for our programs yeah. Uh, with all the the negative PR and you know sponsors having to uh, kind of decide, well, no, no, we'll, we'll still support the Paris situations and what people need there. Paul, thanks, excellent. Take care, Kelly. Paul Daniel joining us uh, to tell us what's coming up uh, with now at Dave Brown, also to do some vocab work with Ramya. Always wonderful to uh, have his input in the program and share. Uh, so what a, what a good show to settle back on. Are you doing the math? Did you count up all the guests? I did not. I didn't oh, even know you did goodness. it. So that was great. Yeah, 13. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Am I falling voices. behind? Well, I just figured you were going to... No, actually, it was 14. Or actually, it was 12. You know, no. something like that. I figured, you know. So, yeah, I think actually... We'll do it later. Uh, yeah, I think it was. I think it's 14 that we actually had. I had 12 That's as fine. my original and then started adding and including Paul. You know, so. Why not? That's nice. Count but the that's why. people to Eliza, Jeff, Grant. They were already counted. Days. They were guests earlier. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Eliza wasn't. Eliza, key, key down there and say hi, and then we can add you to the list. So it'll be 15 <laughs> and nice, straight, comfortable. 15. She gives us time cues. <laughs> there we go. See? All right, guys. Uh, tomorrow on the program, reporter Grant Hardy will be here with the latest health headlines with Indigenous Veterans Day on November 8th and Remembrance Day on November 11th. Greg David is going to spotlight special television programming. We have the uh, Wednesday edition of Buzz with Bill Shackleton. Also on the program, on our Money Talk, Ryan Chin is going to be offering answers to our questions and concerns regarding inflation. And Mary Mamaliti of Kitchen Confession joins us when she shares options of what to do with our post-Halloween pumpkins. We start carving up another edition of Kelly and Company starting at 2 p.m. Eastern. I'm waving at you. Good night, all. Well, the cat is out of the bag. Kelly and Company is becoming Kelly and Ramya, and we're moving to TV. First off, I want to say a really big congrats to Ramya Amathan, who has put so much of herself into the show. You guys have heard a lot of behind-the-scenes things, whether it's on the vanity card or segments like earlier today where we talked a little bit about the show. But one thing that I don't think is said very often is that Kelly and Ramya put so much of themselves into this show. So much of what you hear on the show comes from the relationships that Kelly and Ramya have built up 
and from experiences and stories from from their own life. So uh, very proud to see Ramya's name up there headlining along with Kelly McDonald. I think the biggest change for me in all of this has been stepping away from the control room. I started on the show as an audio technician. I've spent most of my time over the past six years working in the control room. Hands on the console, pressing buttons, calling guests, uh... (laughs) Sending Kelly and Rami the backup articles when things don't come through. You know, so it's, it's been very strange for me to step out of the control room and a little even further behind the scenes for me. A couple of years ago, AMI This Week did a profile of our, of our show and our team. And one of the things that they asked all the team members was, who's got the biggest ego? And of course, everyone points to Kelly because his name is on the title, right? And Kelly says, no, 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 it's Matt. He's the one with his hands on the controls, and if he doesn't like what you say, he'll just turn you right off. (laughs) But it has been strange for me not to be able to make a quick fix here or uh, share a quick note there. And and just, you know, carrying on with Kelly and Rumia on the back channel, as you guys have sometimes heard here on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun, but I'm really looking forward to moving into this next phase because something I wasn't able to share earlier in the show was that I have always been amazed at how open people have been with us and and with the audience on Kelly and Company. It's always been a place where people have shared their experiences, their expertise, and and frankly, some very personal stories, uh, simply because they want to reach out, they want to connect with others, and, and you know, just the hopes that sharing what they know will help someone else uh, who is in the same place that they are or they were. So I, th- I think our show has a lot of variety. I think everyone will gravitate to the parts that they like the best, whether that's the tech or the health news or uh, just conversations like the roundtable. But I am certain that you will learn something new, you'll hear something that changes your perspective, or you'll find something new to try. So I'm just really proud of the show that we've built over the last six years in radio, and, and we can't wait to bring all of you a totally new way to experience Kelly and Ramya. So... Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts. Stay tuned.